Hello, this is NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Glenn Weldon. We've got two debut novels today, both about a parent and a child finding a way to cross the generational divide. In a minute, we'll hear from Nathan Goh, whose book Forgiving Imelda Marcos begins with a father reaching out to his estranged son with a story that changes the narrative about the father's life in ways the son may not be prepared to deal with. But first up, Holding Pattern is the debut novel from Jenny Hsu. It's about a young woman named Kathleen who returns to her mother Marissa's house after a breakup. She's finally prepared to confront her mother about the woman's manifold failures as a parent, only to find that Marissa has grown into someone more physically and emotionally healthy than the distant, despairing, and depressive mother Kathleen grew up with. She had talked to Mary Louise Kelly on All Things Considered. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, where hundreds of researchers make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. Learn more about their momentum at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. It's a familiar story. A young adult flailing as they attempt to navigate adult life decides to move home back to the safety of the parental nest. Well, a new novel takes that familiar story and turns it on its head. It's called Holding Pattern. It's the story of Kathleen Chung, who has just been dumped by her boyfriend. She wants to drop out of grad school. So she moves home, moves back in with her mom to find someone she barely recognizes. The author is Ginny Shea. Welcome. Hi, Mary Louise. I'm so excited to be here. All right. You open the book with the two of them in a bridal boutique because Marissa, the mom, has just gotten engaged. Set the scene for us. So Kathleen and Marissa have had a fraught relationship. When Kathleen was growing up, Marissa really leaned on her for emotional support um, as her own marriage was falling apart. She was depressed. She was drinking. She was really homesick for China. And Kathleen has gone away and now come home, and she's at a crossroads in her life. And there's been a huge rupture in that she's flailing from her academic track. The relationship that she was in has um, broken apart. And now she finds herself sort of at the inverse of the usual wedding narrative where she's preparing for her mom's wedding. Yeah. And her mom is completely unrecognizable. And she, Kathleen thinks of it as like Marissa 2.0 in that she's drinking green juice and running up hills and rock climbing. And the person that she wanted to hold accountable kind of isn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, So Kathleen, she's back home. She's back on her mom's roof. She's not entirely happy about this. She has no idea what's coming next. And she spots a job and applies, and the job is certified cuddle provider. Explain. <laughs> this is something that I found when I, in my own life, was looking for a summer job. I had never heard of professional cuddling before, but it exists. And it is a job where you platonically cuddle a stranger, and that is the service. And it fulfills a need that a lot of people have, that actually all of us have, 
for skin contact and touch. It's really good for you across the board, mentally, physically, emotionally. And for some reason, it's just not readily available as as a way of caretaking. The company that you invented, Midas Touch, on on their app, they have a description um, of like what you might be signing up for and, and different holds to try. Would you give us a sample? Yeah, absolutely. We all deserve to take a load off after a long day of pounding the pavement. For the lap of luxury, one cuddler sits on the couch while the other leans against the armrest and stretches their legs across their partner's lap, conveniently positioning themselves for a foot rub. Hint, hint. <laughs> so I wrote those, you know, in the voice of of this millennially branded company, right? So it's got this weird sheen of like cheer. <laughs> yeah. It's safe to say that the mom, Marissa, is skeptical when she finds out this is what her daughter is doing uh, for work. And some of that stems, you know, I'm sure is generational. Some of it is cultural. Would you talk about um, some of the choices that Marissa, the mom, made coming to the U.S. as an immigrant, as a young woman from Shanghai? I really wanted to talk about the mother-daughter experience. I think it's such a fraught love, a magnificent love, but it's immediately complicated by all the pressures that society puts on girls and women and the narrow roles that they slot them into. And for Kathleen and Marissa, I wanted to add this additional layer of complexity, which is what happens when you're part of an immigrant family. And so when Marissa and Kathleen moved to the States, what essentially happened is that Marissa moved Kathleen into a realm a little bit beyond her understanding because they have completely different understandings of history, different values, different worldviews. And so everything that they would have to navigate as mother and daughter is compounded by this sort of inscrutability and unknowability. And part of that is what does success look like and what are different avenues and ways of being? And for Kathleen, this cuddle experiment is completely beyond what her mom can can stomach. Yeah. In the case of your characters, they spend most of the novel not talking or talking past each other. And then finally, near the end, Marissa says something that's so kind and also true. She tells her daughter, you're good at helping people. And you felt these two women seeing each other and really hearing each other. Where do you hope they go from there? Because none of the things that have divided them in past have gone away. Mm-hmm. It's not a neat ending and probably some folks will be frustrated by that, but I don't think that's true to life. I don't think you come to a perfect understanding ever and especially not with your mother. And what I hope for Kathleen and Marissa is that they start to see, as you said, a little bit beyond the narratives that have been so ingrained about each other. I think as a mother and daughter, what can happen because you've known each other for so long and, you know, been fit into a certain framework, you can start to travel the same narratives and everything that you're learning can kind of lock into that narrative. And it's really hard to actually see the other person wholly for who they are. And for Kathleen and Marissa in, in the book, I think a couple ruptures happen that allow them to see a little bit outside of that frame. And moving forward, you you get the sense that things will open up and they'll come to better understandings about each other. 
And because they're so bound, that that will become better understandings about themselves. And explain the title, Holding Pattern. It's really descriptive of where Kathleen is in her life. And it also touches on these themes of touch, connection, and intimacy that run throughout the book and the way that she's using her experiences with cuddling to rethink some of her relationships and especially her relationship with her mom. Yeah, that all makes total sense. I was also thinking about the holding on to the past and the patterns for better or worse that we get into in relationships. And that also, as you've just laid out, runs so clearly through the book between Marissa, her mom, and all of the other characters. Yes. It's so easy to keep doing what you've been doing. And I think it it needs something really disruptive to force you out of that. But a silver lining of having your life blow up is that you get to reorient yourself <laughs> and figure out if you know if the direction you are going in is is really the direction you want to be going in, or if it wasn't just something that you were doing by momentum. Well, here's to silver linings, and congrats on the book. Thank you so much. That's Jenny Shia. Her debut novel is titled "Holding Pattern." Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Forgiving Imelda Marcos is the debut novel from Nathan Goh. It begins with a father in failing health writing a letter to his journalist son, offering to tell him a story about an event that happened when the father was a young man working as a chauffeur to Philippine President Corazon Aquino. It's a book about history, both political and personal, which explores the nature and the purpose of forgiveness. Go talk to Scott Simon on Weekend Edition. Can history be shaped by slights, grievances? misunderstandings, as much as great events. Nathan Goh's debut novel, Forgiving Imelda Marcos, begins as a letter from Leto, a father who is mortally sick to his estranged son. He wants to give his son, who's now a journalist in America, a story that will resound around the world. Leto was once the personal chauffeur to Corazon Aquino, who was elected president of the Philippines after her husband, Benigno returned from exile to oppose the dictator Ferdinand Marcos and was shot to death as he stepped off the plane. The Aquinos and the Marcoses represented opposing forces, one for democracy, the other as personified by Imelda Marcos, a shoe-hoarding, jewel-loving kleptocracy. And Leto tells his son there is a postscript. Nathan Goh is in the Philippines and joins us now. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Does uh, Leto have a history his son might uh, might find hard to understand because they haven't really known each other very well over the years? Well, yes, Leto has a secret and an intention. He wants to tell his son a story, but his son, being estranged to him for so many years, isn't particularly open to Leto telling the story. And he promises his son a scoop about a secret meeting between 
Imelda Marcus and Corazon Aquino, hoping that this would be the reason why his son would listen to him and perhaps uh, sneaking in other stories that Lito wants to tell. You know, Imelda Marcus's greatest fame was a generation ago. Remind us what she personified for many people in the Philippines and, and then around the world. Right. So Imelda Marcus is this uh, bigger-than-life character, very extravagant, uh, flamboyant, charming person. And back in the 60s and 70s, she and her husband were being sold as this Philippine version of Camelot of the Kennedys in the U.S. And so that was the appeal back then, and um, that was why they initially became very popular and came into power. But as the economy faltered, as a lot of people suffered hardships, the Marcuses became less and less popular, and so he has to declare martial law to stay in power. And during the time of the martial law, thousands and thousands of Filipinos suffered. A lot of them were detained, arrested, killed summarily. And those atrocities are still being remembered by the Filipinos. But I think it's also becoming more and more in the past and more and more people are starting to forget. Lito becomes Corazon Aquino's chauffeur. And maybe we should pause to say the the Aquinos are also a famous family. I mean, even before... Corazon Aquino, weren't they, in the Philippines? Yes, the Aquinos um, were also a big political family. Benigno Aquino, the husband of uh, Corazon Aquino, was the main opposition leader who was assassinated during that time. And Corazon Aquino was kind of like the polar opposite of Imelda Marquez, where Corazon is this quieter, conservative, and kind of like self-declared housewife. And Corazon rose up because of the husband's assassination, and she took power on a kind of a popular uprising against the Marcuses. At the heart of your novel is a long drive from Manila. Lito is the chauffeur. He takes Corazon Aquino to meet with Imelda Marcos. That's her intention. A lot of people would just Google the route. You actually drove it, didn't you? Yes, I did. With a friend, we took the long route going to Baguio City from Manila, and it would take about six to eight hours. Driving through the countryside from Manila, you would first see a lot of industrial factories, that kind of thing. And when you drive past that, then you really see the countryside open up to sugarcane fields and rice paddies. I took that road trip because my principle in writing is to really embody my character. So every decision that I make in the book, I ask what my characters would do. And how did making that road trip, how did that set off some of your thoughts? Well, I realized that driving is in some ways a solitary activity, and it really gives you a lot of opportunity to think through things, to ponder things. Uh, especially if your passenger or your companion isn't as talkative. <laughs> <laughs> and so my character, Lito, even though he, he hasn't finished high school, he has also a lot of time to think through the big questions that he, uh, he thinks are important, such as, you know, like, what is the meaning of life and random things like the internet. And one of those things as well, when he was driving Mrs. Aquino, is his 
question of what are they doing going to see Melda Marcus. Yeah. Also at the heart of your story is the difference between forgiveness and redemption. So this book, to me, I was really interested in the question of what forgiveness means. Is it more to give closure to the person forgiving, or does it also have anything to do with the person being forgiven? What about if the person being forgiven isn't actually repentant, uh, doesn't even acknowledge the injustice or the, uh, the harm that he or she has caused? Um, is there any point in forgiveness then? What do you make of the fact that a son of Benigno and Corazon Aquino has since been president of the Philippines and now a son of Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos is? I tried so hard not to be influenced by what's going on in the Philippines because I really wanted to just stay true to my characters. And in fact, the more I wrote this novel, the more I found that my interest really lies with Lito, the ordinary Filipino driver, rather than the political figures. Although writing this story has made me think, and Lito being a stand-in for the ordinary Filipino, it is quite inevitable for him to ask the things that are going on today. Is there something about the Philippines or the Filipinos? Why we have elected you know, the son of the former dictator? Is there something in us that are quick to forgive, to forget? Or is it something that is going on all around the world? Are we not any different from other people in other countries? Is it human to look back at the past with more rose-colored glasses? And so these bigger questions are in my mind when I was writing this novel, but I, uh, rather than have those answers, this novel, I think, attempts to answer some of the questions, but I was more interested in exploring the questions rather than giving any answers. Nathan Goh, his debut novel, Forgiving Imelda Marcos. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookofthedaya at npr.org. I'm Glenn Weldon. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Karen Miller Medzen, Tom Munt, Amiko Tamagawa, Elena Burnett, Justine Kennan, Megan Lim, Samantha Balaban, and Adil Al Shalchi. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. 
It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.